you have your Bible with you, you could go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 4 uh, today. We are doing a five-week series on prayer uh, before we get back into finishing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and today, you'll notice, uh, also in the bulletin, uh, there is, as usual, uh, a spot for you to take notes and then a life group discussion guide as you gather with your life group this week as well. And so uh, you can get to that spot as well. But you'll notice today that the title for the message is, We Pray Because We Have Problems. It's true, right? It's true that we have problems. Go ahead and uh, turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hey, you have problems. Go ahead and just do that. Turn, like, you have problems. All right? Uh, some of you have been wanting to tell them that for a long time. And, and you like maybe you even have the urge right now to start listing them out. Like let's not do that. Let's not get in depth. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. Go ahead and be honest though, and turn to that same person and say, "Hey, so do I." Come on, you know it. Everybody mumbles that. They're like, "You have problems, man." So do I. Um, right? But it's true. We do. It doesn't matter who you are. You could have turned next to a four-year-old next to you and told them the same thing. We have problems. Even if you, you can look at your life this last week and say, life was really good this last, well, maybe you had a good week, but you still have problems. The, the, the truth is, we all have problems. I could spend, if, if, if we were just talking about all the problems that we have, this could be a really long sermon. You're like, well, it's probably going to really be a really long sermon anyway, because I know you. Uh, you're right. Um, but I'm not going to go through all of the problems that we could potentially have, right? But we are going to look at, in this short passage, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, we are going to look at some of the problems that are either specifically laid out or implied in this passage. This passage makes it clear that we have some problems and God gives us some commands and some solutions to those problems. So that's how we're going to walk through this passage, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Like I said... This is week four of a five-week series on prayer. We're doing a series on prayer, partly selfishly because I've recognized in my life that I have a greater need for, and I'm becoming, starting to have, a greater longing for spending time with God in prayer and seeing Him act in and around me as a result of prayer. That, that's a personal desire for me, and as I have that desire for me, it's the same thing that I want for the church. And so that's the purpose of this series. And so we started out week one talking about Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, and talking about how it is that we can even have an audience with the God, Almighty God, Creator of all things, would listen to our prayers. How is that? It's because of who Jesus is and what He's done. And so we talked about how we pray and that we come to God in Jesus' name when we pray. Week two, we went through Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, which we often call the Lord's Prayer. Because there we have a model from Jesus himself about what we ought to pray for and how we ought to pray. So we spent a week looking at that. And then last week, like I mentioned, we were in Psalm 27, saying that one of the reasons that we pray is because we just want to be with God. And what a privilege it is. Today, we're looking at another reason for prayer. Today, we're going to look at these short verses here in the book of Philippians and find that, that, that in fact, we do have some serious problems, but that part of God's solution to our problems is prayer. 
part of God's solution to some of the problems that we have that are laid out here in Philippians 4 is prayer. And so, if you're able to, would you please stand as we read God's Word? Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. God's Word says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Let's just pray together. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity and the clarity of it. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes to indwell all who trust in Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would now illuminate your word. That we might understand what it is that you are seeking to communicate. First of all, to the church in Philippi through Paul. And also by extension now to us. God, thank you for your word. It is a gift to us and help me to communicate it clearly and help our minds to be ready to receive and our hearts to be ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a number of problems. You'll see in your outline uh, that you can fill in a couple of blanks there, some problems and then some of God's solutions. We're going to spend most of our time on just one of them, but a little time here on the first one. One of the problems that's implied in this passage is that we have this problem. We lack joy. That's a problem. One of the problems that we have is that we lack joy. Non-Christians sometimes seem to have no interest in becoming Christians because they see Christians as joyless, crabby people who don't know how to have a good time and are just always complaining about how bad everything is getting all the time. And in some cases, they might be right. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we joyful people? Is this a problem in our life? Do we lack joy? And a good way to do that, if you're a parent, and I went to your kids, and I asked your kids to describe to me, what are your parents like? Would they use the word joyful? And if they're two, you're like, well, probably not, because they can't say that yet. But maybe if they're a little bit older, or maybe if you work somewhere, and I want to talk to your coworkers, would your coworkers say that when you show up at work, it just becomes a little more enjoyable because you are a joyful kind of person? Kids, would your parents say that you are a grateful and joyful child? There's a lot of circumstances in our lives that either in an instant or slowly over time, seem to steal away our joy, aren't there? When you think about all the stuff that happens in life, and you're like, okay, I want to be joyful, but look at all of these things that are going on. I mean, there's so many things that can just seek to steal joy away from us. If you watch the news, I know, like if you watch like the nightly news, they have like that one minute at the end that's supposed to be happy news, but that doesn't really make up for the 20 minutes of sad news that preceded it. So you can watch the news and walk out feeling kind of hopeless, like it has just stolen a bit of joy away from you. Maybe you're feeling joy 
being stolen away from you because your relationship with your spouse is just not what it ought to be. It steals joy away from us. Maybe it's because parenting is way harder than you think, than you thought it would be. Maybe it's because your once strong parent is now becoming more frail and helpless, and you're not sure how to handle that. And so as you watch that happen, it's like joy is just being stolen away from you. Maybe you feel joy being stolen away from you because you desire to be married or you desire to have children and God has not provided that for you and you're starting to wonder if he ever will and you can feel joy being stolen away from you. Maybe you're lacking joy because you're feeling aimless and wondering why God even put you on this earth or maybe it's because you're struggling financially or maybe you have health problems. There are so many circumstances in this life that can seek to steal away any joy that we might have. And so lacking joy is a problem. So what's the solution? What if, what if the source of joy was not our circumstances? What if our joy flowed from some other spring? What if joy wasn't a goal to shoot for? What if joy wasn't a goal to shoot for, but it was a command to obey? What if joy was actually a command to obey? That's what we see here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. That God's solution to our problem of a lack of joy is this. He gives us a command. This is a command here in Philippians chapter 4, 4 verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord. And I think God knows, and he's, as he's speaking through Paul, that he knows what our response would be. So you hear a command, rejoice in the Lord, and your first response is, but. And then you could fill in the blank with all of the circumstances in your life that are causing you not to have joy, right? And so if you're a parent, you know how this works with kids. You give a command, right? And you often have to repeat that command two times, right? Because you say it one time, and they have some reason, somewhat sophisticated maybe, some reason for which they cannot obey your command. And so they say, but, hold on, I'm just going to say that again. Here's the command. And that's what we see here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. There's this command where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like you can hear you responding, say, oh, but hold on, like really always rejoice, find joy, find gladness in the Lord always? Oh, hold on, but do you don't, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Remember, just like a parent, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's a command. Having joy is a command that we receive from God in multiple places, but one of them is right here in Philippians 4.4. But it's hard. And I think the key is recognizing that, that God is not saying, rejoice in your circumstances always. That's not the command, is it? Rejoice in your circumstances always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It is rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This December when we were going through the book of Habakkuk, we ended uh, in Habakkuk chapter 3 because that's where Habakkuk ends. And in one of the last verses in the book of Habakkuk, we talked about this. It says, rejoice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The source of our joy, the source of our rejoicing is the Lord himself, right? So we need to fight for joy in him. We can ask him for that in prayer. When you're not feeling joyful, 
You can ask God to change the circumstances, but if you recognize that joy doesn't come from circumstances anyway, you could also come before God and say, God, I'm just not feeling joyful today. Help me to rejoice in you. And then you can open up scripture and start reading some spots where, where you see who it is that God is and what he does, and your response ought to be rejoicing. Okay? So there's one problem, one solution. The next problem, we're not going to spend hardly any time on this because I want to keep moving, but it's the problem that we're not very gentle. We're not very gentle. The word the ESV uses is reasonableness. Most other translations translate that word gentleness, okay? I think gentleness is probably a more fitting, actually, uh, translation here. So our problem, though, is that we're not gentle. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and one thing you can definitely tell from reading this letter is that one of the problems in the church at Philippi, I think, is a big problem at every church everywhere, and that is that the people that are a part of the church are very naturally selfish, Okay? So as you go through the book of Philippians, you see these commands like each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. You should consider yourselves, others, more important than yourselves. Have the humility of Christ Jesus. Right? Those kinds of things that we see throughout the book, and we see that again here now in chapter 4, verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. There is kind of this horizontal way in which most of this, this passage is about vertical things, but here, for just a little bit, it's about horizontal things. In the middle of all these final commands and exhortations, he gives this command, let your gentleness be known to everyone. You ought to interact with other people in a way that you would like them to interact with you, with gentleness, with patience, with reasonableness. So that's a problem. That's God's solution. Again, it's another command. Let your gentleness be, no, be made known to everyone. But I want to spend most of our time on the last two verses. And so let's go ahead and go there. Our problem is this. We are prone to anxiety and vulnerable to attacks of the mind and heart. We're prone to anxiety and vulnerable to attacks of the mind and the heart. Anxiety is not something that most people would sign up for. Right? It's not that you... You, you have a situation happen in your life. You're like, I wonder how I should respond. I think I'll respond with anxiety. Anxiety is almost like this natural response to the circumstances in our life. And, and for some, it's even more natural than it is for others. That for some, you hear some new news of some sort, and your natural response right away is to go to the worst-case scenario. You think about all the what-ifs, and, and, your, and your, your mind starts spinning out of control and your heart starts racing, right? So for some people, anxiety is something that, that maybe you feel occasionally. For others, anxiety is something you would say, I feel that frequently. Others of you, you would even have to say, man, if I'm honest, I'm almost constantly feeling anxious. But in some way, all of us deal with the problem of anxiety. We are prone to anxiety and vulnerable to attacks of the mind and the heart. And just like with any problem, if we're going to know how to get rid of the problem, it's helpful to know where it comes from. So where does the problem of anxiety come from? Now, I should note that one of the causes of anxiety um, is, can be medical, right? That you can have, um, sometimes it's an imbalance of your thyroid levels or other things like that that can cause anxiety 
to be something that characterizes the way you respond to so many things. If that's the case, if you experience almost constant debilitating anxiety, you should talk to your doctor about that. But medicine is not the sole solution uh, to anxiety because anxiety's roots, while they can be medical to some degree, also go much deeper than that. And so we need to look at the root, at the core of the problem. Anxiety is much more complicated than it just being a medical issue. Believe that the root cause of anxiety is a spiritual issue. The way I get there is by reading Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to take time to do that now. You'll do that in your life groups this week. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount about worry, telling them that they ought not to worry about anything. Right? And in, that, in the context of that passage, Jesus tells them that they are people of little faith. That part of the reason that we are anxious is that we lack faith and trust in God. If we want to get to the root of our anxiety, part of the root of our anxiety is the fact that we lack trust and faith in God. We look at a situation, we're not sure how it's going to turn out, so we respond with anxiety because, in part, we don't trust God. It's where anxiety comes from and part of its root. And so, what's the solution? And that's what we see in verses 6 and 7. In verses 6 and 7, we see some of God's solution to anxiety. And again, it comes in the form of a command. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you notice these words? Like, rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything. And you look at these commands, you're like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Don't be anxious about anything. Some of you are like, I'm almost anxious about everything. How, how am I supposed to obey this command to not be anxious about anything? One thing to note quickly is that the assumption here is that anxiety is a choice. Anxiety is a choice because you don't see, because he's telling you, don't be anxious about anything. God will not command us to do something that we, we have no control over. So, so, for example, we don't see Jesus commanding us, do not be sick ever, right? He doesn't give us that command. But he does give us the command, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And that is a hard command. And you ask, how? How am I supposed to obey that command? And the answer is, at least in part, pray. Are you battling anxiety in your life? God's solution to our problem of anxiety, at least in part, is to let our requests be made known to God. That's what it says here in verse 6. Look at it. Do not be anxious about anything, but. So the problem is our anxiety. God's solution is this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay? So there's actually three different ways that he says to pray there. By prayer and supplication and let your request be made known to God. Part of our prayer is making our requests known to God. And also, just side note, it seems obvious, 
I think I maybe even mentioned this before, but it does say here that we are to let our requests be made known to God. Prayer is us talking to God. And, and I like, well, yeah, I knew that. And you probably did. Um, but I don't think a lot of people do. Um, I, I look on, on things like Facebook as I see that some people often use Facebook to, to ask other people for prayer, which is a great thing, right? So it's a way for us to say, here's what's going on in my life. Will you pray for me? And people will comment on that and say, sending prayers your way. We, we don't send prayers to other people, right? If somebody's going through a hard time, it's not helpful at all for me to send prayers to them. Right? So we don't send prayers to other people. We send our prayers one direction up to God because he, he is the one who alone can do something about the situation, right? So we pray to God. So it says, let your request be made known to God. Right? You don't send prayers to somebody else. You let your request be made known to God. Okay? Pray, supplication, let your request be made known to God. God's solution then to our problem of anxiety is a command to pray. And I know that this can sound kind of trite, right? You're thinking about, but you don't know what anxiety I have in my life and what that's doing to me. It's bad. And it sounds so trite for you to just say, well, just pray about it. And I understand that because it seems like an oversimplification of a problem that's really far-reaching and debilitating. But we can overlook one thing that the passage says that we have overlooked so far, and that is this. That as we're struggling and battling against anxiety and God's solution is for us to come to Him in prayer, there's a certain way in which we ought to do it. So look at verse 6 again. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And actually, before we even get to that part, I want you to look at something we skipped over. It's at the end of verse 5. Remember, uh, when, when God inspired Scripture to be written, He didn't inspire the chapter and verse numbers. We put those things in there later. So sometimes I think they fall at unfortunate spots. The end of verse 5 actually probably fits better in verse 6. The end of verse 5 says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. One thing we ought to remember as we battle anxiety is that the Lord is at hand. This can refer to Jesus coming again, but probably in this context just refers to the fact that God is right here. So as we start to battle anxiety, it's not that we have this far-off God who's removed from our circumstances, but we endure circumstances in our life that we don't know what to do with, and we start to feel anxious. Remember this, the Lord is at hand. He's right there. You can come to Him in prayer instantly, right? And then it says, let your request be made known to God, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's another part of how we come before God in prayer. We come before God with thanksgiving. As we come before God with all of our worries and anxieties and concerns, we're called to come to Him with thanksgiving. Remember when we went through the Lord's Prayer, and we notice that, that we're coming to God with our needs, things that we're concerned about. If you don't have food to eat, it is important that you pray, give us this day our daily bread. But we also notice how that's not the first thing that comes up in the Lord's Prayer. That's request number four. Right? That the requests before that are that God's name would be hallowed. 
that the request before that is that God's kingdom would come, and that God's will would be done. And so we give God thanks for the ways in which his name is being hallowed. We give God thanks for who he is. We give God thanks for the ways that we have seen his will being done, the ways that we have seen his kingdom come. And if we start our prayer there, then by the time we get to our requests, God has already hopefully done a work in our hearts. So we're coming before God with our concerns, with our anxieties, but we're also coming before him with thanksgiving. We don't want to neglect that part of prayer. So that's why it's put right here in the middle of all of that in Philippians chapter 4. So we don't just come to God with the list of our worries and concerns. We come before God acknowledging Him for who He is, praising Him for who He is, giving Him thanks for all that He's done, and bringing our requests before Him. And as we pray in that way, I think that's when God starts to do a work in our hearts that starts to chip away at that anxiety that we're feeling. And I think also, of course, just like the command earlier, rejoicing in the Lord. If you are spending, if you are actually obeying that command, if you are obeying command number one, rejoice in the Lord always. If you're spending all of your time rejoicing in the Lord, there's not going to be a lot of time to worry and be anxious about things, right? So, so as we, the more and more that we rejoice in the Lord, the less and less we're going to experience anxiety in our lives. All right. So what? Does it actually work? That's kind of the final question, right? Does this, does this actually work? So that's the command. But does this command actually work? I mean, sometimes you go to a doctor and you get a prescription from the doctor. Like, I have this problem. The doctor has this solution. Go home and take this. And in two days, you'll be feeling better. You take it. And in two days, you're not feeling better. Like, well, thought that was supposed to work, right? Will God's solution to our problem of anxiety work? God's solution to our problem of anxiety is a command. Let your request be made known to God. Does that actually work? How does that work? What happens when we're feeling anxious and we make a choice to stop and come before God in prayer? What happens? That's what we see in verse 7. Verse 7 says this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something happens. As we experience anxiety and we stop and we come before God in prayer with thanksgiving, rejoicing in the Lord, we come before Him and He begins to do something. And here's what it says in verse 7 happens. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Do you know somebody who's gone through some circumstances in life and you watch them, you're like, how are they getting through that? It's like, it's like it doesn't even phase them. And you know that if you were going through that, you would be anxious and worried and concerned and distraught. But you see somebody else going through it, it's like it, it doesn't even bother them. How does that work? Oftentimes, it's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I was talking to Steve Campbell this week, and, and as I was talking, he gave me permission to talk about this, by the way. Uh, as I was talking to Steve Campbell this week, he asked me to pray for his dad. Many of you know his dad, John, uh, had some issues going on with his heart, and so uh, on February 5th, he's going to Mayo to have a surgery uh, at age 79, in which they're going to open up his heart, replace a bad valve and stuff like that. It's something that would cause a lot of people a lot of anxiety, but Steve said, it's incredible the amount of peace that my mom and my dad both have. God's given them this peace that surpasses all understanding because they have come before God.
spend their time rejoicing in the Lord, coming before Him with thanksgiving. And as a result, there's peace that surpasses understanding that they're feeling about this. And Steve said, what a witness to my family and, and our kids and everything else. It's a great thing. When we experience things that would cause anxiety and we choose instead to come before God with, in prayer with thanksgiving and great rejoicing, not, not forgetting the fact that we got something. Like, you come before God. You let your request be made known to Him. You're not, you're not kind of glossing it over like this is, this is really not a big deal. And then the final part is this. This peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace comes to do something. And what it says it's going to do is it's going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That word that Paul uses there, guard, that's a military word. And when we think of military, we often think of those that are, that are, are, are standing up to the forces of evil that protect us from physical harm. That's what the military does, right? But Paul here takes that military word and applies it to what God is doing with his peace to guard our hearts and our minds. This, this, is, this is a strong word that he's using here. It's not like God's going to help you just a little bit if you pray. That's not what Paul is saying. Right? He's saying what God can do as you come before him in prayer when you experience anxiety is God can come. He will guard. He will put military protection around your heart and your mind. Something that he can do. There are so many responses to anxiety that are so much more wimpy than this one. I, I know a lot of people struggle with anxiety, so I thought I'd do what a lot of people do. You struggle with something, you Google it, right? So I Googled it this week. It's like, how do you deal with anxiety or something like overcoming anxiety? I can't remember what I Googled. I Googled something, and I got the 12 steps to overcoming anxiety in your life, okay? You want to know what number four was? Here's number four. Start the day out with several minutes of positive affirmations. Tell yourself how you would like your day to be. Use positive, cheering, and motivating words. Right? Wimpy. You think that's going to work? Something as, as pervasive and debilitating and strong and, and hard to deal with as anxiety? Anxiety is tough. And to think that that would be the solution? That you just use positive words and tell your day how you want it to be. Wimpy. But God's word is strong. Because he says that if you're battling anxiety, bring your request before God. And God will bring you this peace that will guard in a military kind of way. A strong kind of way. He will guard your hearts and your minds which are so vulnerable to the attacks of anxiety. He will guard your hearts and your minds. Praise God. That his power is strong. And we don't have to go to the wimpy advice of this world. But prayer is a discipline, right? We don't naturally drift into prayer. We naturally drift into worry. How many of you could say amen to that? Like your natural drift is right into worry, right? That you just, you, you experience anxiety and you don't have to, you don't plan on it. It just happens. Prayer though if that's the way that we attack our anxiety is through prayer, that's the tool that God has given us, that's the weapon he's given us, it's a discipline. It's something we have to make ourselves do because it's a lot easier to just be anxious. 
When our son Isaiah, little illustration to help us understand this, when our son Isaiah was 10 days old, so just a tiny, tiny little guy, um, Noah, little Noah Stopper, he's like 14 days old today, okay, so he's about that size, if you want to look at Noah because he's super cute uh, after this, uh, but just to get a picture, so our son Isaiah is 10 days old, um, I got this phone call, I was teaching actually in a high school classroom, uh, got a phone call that I needed to come up to the hospital right away because our little son Isaiah's heart had been uh, racing uh, at, a, at a very fast rhythm for a prolonged period of time, and so I left the high school, ran up to the hospital where Kirsten was there, and our daughter Annika was sitting on the floor, and they were explaining to us one of the scariest moments of our lives, when they were explaining to us what was happening, that this couldn't go on, and they, they weren't able to just by, I mean, sometimes you can even, like, restart the heart by surprising somebody or putting something cold on them really fast, something to kind of reset things, and that wasn't working. So they, they had them all hooked up to IVs. And they said, we're going to inject this into him. I can't remember what this stuff was. But they said, for a while, you're going to see the monitor, which was going crazy with his heartbeat. You're going to see him flatline for a moment. And as that happens, his heart will reset itself and restart. Uh, and it should be back to beating at a normal rhythm that his body can handle. Scary stuff, right? And after that, uh, th- that worked. Um, and, uh, and his heart was, was normal again. He had experienced what is called supraventricular tachycardia. And, and, the, and the response that we had to, to do uh, so that that wouldn't happen again um, is that we had to give him a medication until he was 16 months old. So from 10 days old to 16 months old. And we had to do it every eight hours, no matter where we were, no matter whether he was sleeping or awake, at 7 a.m., 3 p.m., and 11 p.m., we would have to give him this medication so that this didn't happen again. We disciplined ourselves. That became just a habit. It was just a habit in our life. We disciplined ourselves. This boy, in order to protect his heart, we need to give him this medication, and we're going to be disciplined to do it. That's the way it is with prayer. We recognize how vulnerable our hearts are to attack from anxiety and many other things, and so we must discipline ourselves as though our lives depended on it disciplining ourselves to come before God in prayer. So grateful that God has given us a solution to that very real problem. I want to end with this. I want to end with this, that the core of all of our problems, underneath all of these problems, is sin. We don't trust God and we're anxious instead because we're sinful. We're not gentle because we're sinful. We lack joy and we don't always rejoice in the Lord because we're sinful. And sin has consequences. There are present day consequences for our sin and there are eternal consequences for sin. The core of all the other problems that we have in our life are sin. But God has a solution to that problem too. God's solution to that problem is the gospel. And I skipped the last three words, which I think are super important in this passage. The last three words in verse 7 are this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's solution to the problems in this passage and every problem that we have in our life, and especially to the underlying problem of sin, is found in Christ Jesus. And this is good news, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you think about it, all those other things, you're like, yes, 
struggle with being gentle. I struggle with the lack of joy. I struggle with anxiety. And if God's only solution is to give you a command, right? If we lack joy and God's solution is just to say rejoice in the Lord. And if we struggle with anxiety and God's only solution is pray, then you know what? We're going to give up really fast because it's really hard to always rejoice in the Lord. It's really, it's really easy to be anxious and not to go to God in prayer. And so if it all depended on us, we would be in. That's why the last three words of this passage are so important. It's in Christ Jesus. God is the one who himself is the solution to our problems. The good news is this, that God sent his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, the Rescuer, to be the solution to our greatest problem. That is the problem of sin. And so if you're in here this morning and, and you're hearing all these other things like, okay, I could try that, I could try praying, I could try this, I could try that. If you haven't yet yielded your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the first problem that you need to deal with. That is, that is the root cause of all other problems. And so, so if you want to talk about that, you want to talk about what it looks like to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk to you about that this morning or talk to somebody else here as well. But praise God for the good news that in Christ Jesus, he has given us the solution to our greatest problem, and that is the problem of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do just readily admit and confess before you this morning that we have lots and lots of problems. And sometimes it is the other problems in our life that cause the problem of anxiety. God, we also confess that the root of all of these problems, the root of our problem is, is our sin, our rebellion against you, our lack of faith and trust in you. We're not being and we're not doing what it is that you require of us. So, God, our greatest need and your greatest solution is Jesus. So, God, I thank you for sending your Son that we might be freed from the penalty, from the power, and even one day from the very presence of sin. We look forward to that. As we're going to sing now, a song of, of reminding us that it is just a sweet thing to be able to trust in Jesus. As we look at all of the circumstances in our life, the things that bring about anxiety, it is so sweet to know and to trust in Jesus. Thank you for sending him to be the solution to our greatest problem. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>